0: If you would like to earn CPE credit for listening to the show, visit earmarkcpe.com backslash FPA. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. If you would like to earn continuing education credit for your FPA certification from the Association of Finance Professionals for listening to the show, go to the show notes for details on how to earn the credit. Finally, if you enjoy listening to FpNA today please go to your podcast platform of choice click the subscribe button and leave a rating and review of the show and now on to the show from DataRails,
1: this is FPNA today.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to FP&A Today. I am your host, Paul Barnhurst, aka the FP&A Guy. FP&A Today is brought to you by DataRells, the financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. Every week, we welcome a leader from the world of financial planning and analysis. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Kayla Pingle. Kayla, welcome to the show. Hey, Paul. Really excited to have you here. So let me just give a little bit of background about uh, Kayla. She comes to us from Santa Monica, California. She earned her bachelor's degree in accounting from Cal State Northridge. She's worked in multiple finance and accounting roles for various companies over her career. And she currently works as a senior director of finance at 2K. And I'll add on a personal note, she's a big Dodgers fan. So I appreciate that. Even if it was a painful postseason.
1: It was this year, for sure.
0: So we like to start every interview with kind of a fun question. And so what we typically start off is, what, what was the most challenging or hardest budgeting experience you've ever had in your career?
1: I think for me, I've had a lot probably throughout <laughs> my career. I think every year you get something new for sure. Um, but I think probably the most challenging one would have been uh, in 2020. I was at Fox Sports at the time. Our budget season kicked off in March generally. So we were, uh, the world shuts down, sports comes to a screeching halt, and I'm trying to do a budget for next year, not knowing when sports will return to air, when live events will return. There's, you know, not much in the way of content when you build an entire network around live content. Pretty much every day we're running scenarios, just, I mean, literally a different scenario every day, a lot of uncertainty. Not only are we just testing out all these different things, but I we had not built models that were dynamic enough to handle uncertainty. So at the same time, we are reacting um, to try to rebuild our models to account for things that we didn't know what were possible. So we spent a lot of time doing that, a lot of long hours. Plus, you know, you're working from home for the first time with like you grabbed your monitor and keyboard on the way out and trying to figure out how to make all that work. So it was definitely challenging, a lot of long hours, but we did it.
0: I can relate, obviously, not live content, not to that extent, but I worked for a business where a lot of our uh, different units were based on driving because we did insurance claims. So if nobody's driving, nobody's getting in an accident. So we had business units, you saw 90% reduction. I supported a lot of car dealers. And when they closed, obviously, they all wanted to cancel their product. And so, yes, lots of scenarios, lots of long nights. It was quite quite the nightmare on my end. You know, from you, what did you learn? What was maybe your key takeaway from that experience going through that?
1: I think, I mean, being flexible, being able to pivot quickly. I mean, you'd wake up and there'd be new news and a new scenario and you just, you know, whatever I did yesterday is going in the trash and I'm starting from scratch. Um, and then certainly long-term, I've learned to build models that are a little bit more dynamic and uh, can handle a little bit more uncertainty.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Dynamic models can make a big difference. I think we've all built a few of those models where you're like, oh, that that isn't easy to adjust. Yep. Yep. I'll get back to you next week. And then it shouldn't take five minutes. No, not the way the model was built. Yep, exactly. (laughs) All right. So we've covered the the, the challenging budget. Can you talk to us a little bit about yourself? Just give us your background and how you ended up where you're at today.
1: Yeah. So I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, which... That's why I'm a Dodger fan. So, uh, but I know there's not many of us out there. Um, like you said, I've graduated from Cal State Northridge. My degree's in accounting. I also actually became a CPA, um, although I've been active now, um, but I am a CPA. I started my career at Sony Pictures uh, in corporate consolidation for accounting and FP&A, actually. Um, so, very different from being in a division for sure and then shortly after that i went to a startup company for telemedicine and at the time telemedicine was like a very new idea um but that was a really cool experience like wearing a lot of different hats doing a lot of different roles and responsibilities i mean everything payroll accounting finance i even like hr and benefits i was doing. So that was a really good experience, like just kind of getting exposed to different types of business and trying to figure things out on the fly. And after that, I uh, that's when I made the move over to Fox Sports. Um, And I was there in a hybrid role at the time for FP&A and accounting. They weren't separate at the time. And we uh, worked through that for 18 months. And then I got an opportunity with Warner Brothers to go over and work on a project where they were working to outsource their uh, accounting functions to an outsource company in India. And it was a really cool opportunity because I got to travel around the world to a lot of places I would have not normally gone. It was really my first experience managing people. But what I realized in that was, I probably accounting's not for me, That I wanted to be closer to operating division. Luckily for me, that was about the time Fox Sports was launching Fox Sports 1, their new cable network. My boss called me and said, hey, I got a new opening. Would you ever be interested in coming back? And so I made the jump back to Fox Sports. And that's where I spent the next seven years of my career, just managing the P&L for the broadcast network sports. So that's really looking at like your marquee events, NFL, baseball, the World Cup, NASCAR, and then, as well as overseeing the shared service functions that serviced all the all the networks at Fox Sports. After that, I was there until late 2020, and then the opportunity at 2K came up um, to come in as they were expanding their finance function, and come in and at 2K now I oversee the full P&L for the business, working really closely with our leadership, assessing risk and opportunities, also working with. Our parent company take two on our FPA and forecasting um, in addition to full PL responsibilities. I have some oversight over the publishing functions, finance, which is really marketing, our commercial and growth teams, product management, and our studio shared services. So working with a lot of different business partners, uh, really getting into the details of what they do every
0: day. Yeah, it sounds like you definitely have a lot of a lot of partners you're working with there. One thing I just wanted to ask you that you talked about during your introduction, you mentioned that you got the opportunity to, you know, help offshore accounting, you know, to a shared service function, third party, any advice you would offer for others thinking of doing that? I've seen it a few times. And I know it can always be a challenge. So just curious, maybe one or two kind of takeaways or lessons you learned from that experience that you could offer others.
1: Um, definitely a challenge for sure. I think, um, It was also my first time managing a team in general. So really working to set clear expectations and SLAs with the team to make sure and really doing regular check-ins and saying, like, are we delivering yet? You know, and are we keeping our stakeholders happy? So that was really key. I think the other thing is just working and understanding cultural norms of other cultures when you're dealing with that. And, you know, that's helpful in finding what motivates people because it may not be the same everywhere. And that was a really good experience as well. And I still talk to actually some of my team there. Like it's been, I think, 12 years. So
0: That's great. And I've, you know, I've had the opportunity to manage some people in India and do some offshoring. And so I can relate to what you said, the importance of the SLA and learning the culture. I think those are you know, great advice. So, you know, kind of next question I have here is you've spent most of your career in the sports media and entertainment industry. What's attracted you to that industry? What's kept you kind of working in that industry?
1: Growing up in LA, you're always kind of close to it. Going to school, you know, kids' parents were involved. My dad worked in the business as well. So I think, you you know, it's kind of a natural thing um, that I always saw myself getting into. I think I obviously tested a few different types of businesses along the way in my career. And it was really realizing that, one, I enjoy watching sports on television. So it makes it a lot easier when you are working on a product that you actually really care about succeeding. and. I mean, I used to say like, I'd be watching a football game on the weekend. And while I'm enjoying and cheering for my team or whatever else, I'm also thinking about like the business implications, what it might mean for my business later on down the season and down the line. And even thinking about like risks and opportunities, you know, associated with revenue. And if the game isn't going well and it's a blowout, like chances are your ratings are down and you know, your revenue may be impacted or you get, you know, the postseason baseball, you get you are uh, getting seven games in a World Series, or the Chicago Cubs, the year uh, 2016 when the Chicago Cubs went seven games and ended their drought of a hundred and plus years. Like those are big numbers, and it, it's exciting to be a part of it. Finance can be a little dry at times, so I think really working on a product is exciting. And then with 2K, it's being part of like future, the future. I think, of entertainment, you know, related to sports, really close to sports still. It's kept me there being on a product that keeps me engaged and excited.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. If you have a passion for it and you really enjoy sports and you're able to relate that to what you do for work, I could see how that could make it more exciting. And, you know, that's interesting. Obviously, I don't think about that when I'm watching a game. It's like, oh, wait, that's a blowout. How that impact ratings or... There's times when they may think ratings like when the uh Red Sox came back from three nothing to beat the Yankees. I was back east at the time, and that's all anyone talked about and so I you know the ratings were huge, so I could see how you can directly see it in what you're watching and understand, okay, you know, if this series goes to seven, I know that's gonna help our business then there's the there's the sports side of but I want my team to win.
1: Yes, I mean, I'm a charger fan, so it's a little tougher, you know cheer <laughs> right. Painful. So I
0: guess the flip side is, is I accept what it is. I'm, I'm a Titans fan. I was a Houston Oilers fan as a kid. So yes, I can understand painful. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, kind of moving forward, you earned your degree in accounting, but you've mostly ended up working in finance and FP&A. I think you hinted a little bit in your uh, intro about this, but why the switch? Why, you know, what, what made you decide to focus more on the finance side than the accounting?
1: Growing up, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And my parents pushed me towards accounting and said, you'll have a job after college and we won't have to support you (laughs) anymore. But my dad really was said, if you have an accounting degree, you can pivot in a lot of different directions. So I think... In the hybrid role that I had at Fox Sports, where I was doing both accounting and FP&A is when I really realized like, okay, FP&A is looking forward and into the future and really helping a business like achieve its goals. And that's what excited me. I think accounting is a little bit more present or past focus, and it just was not as exciting for me. So once I realized, okay, yeah, you get to work with the business operations, help influence decision-making um, and all that kind of stuff was really what pushed me in the FP&A direction.
0: I can relate to that. I you know, I didn't do an accounting degree, but I've always really enjoyed the business aspect of FP&A. I've always tried to steer clear of the corporate roles where you're just doing consolidation and roll-up because I like working with the business unit. I like having those conversations with partners and trying to influence the decisions and being able to see the impact of that. And it sounds like kind of similar for you as well is that that's what you like.
1: Yep. I think maybe 10 years ago in my career, I thought I want to be a COO. Like, when I got to Fox, we were working a lot with the COO and providing financial information. I was like, oh, that's a really cool job. That's what I want to do. And being an fp you get into all the business areas of the business. And so I was like, that's my path um, forward and what excites me. And so kind of progressed on that path to say, cool, I'm learning about all these different areas of the business and how it all comes together.
0: I totally agree that fp sets you up for a natural path to do operations. You know, in small companies, you often see the CFO also being the COO. It's not uncommon at all. And I remember he's a CEO now who tells story that he's like FP&A is the only group outside of the CFO and the CEO that get to see the whole company, right? You got that 360 view, and you're talking to everybody, and that gives you, if you focus on learning the business and not just the finances, which is what you should be doing it gives you a great understanding of the operations that other people don't get. And you get that through a financial lens in addition to the operational. So I think it's a great, great springboard for operations, for sure. Yeah, sure. So I'm curious, you know, in, in the sports industry, I know it's going to vary a little bit, you know, what kind of company, but what, do you, what are some of the most common you know, kind of KPIs and metrics you've looked at over your career that you've kind of had to track?
1: I mean, the biggest one for sure at Fox was ratings. Because on a broadcast network, you know, it is how they make money is ad revenue. The ratings drive everything, the viewership. And you can go be up or down, you know, and have material swings based off of a blowout or a really tight game. Um, So ratings was the number one thing I was focused on. It's also sports is one of the only things left that people watch live. That rating can really change everything. So ratings was huge. The other thing that we really focused in on was the cost to produce a game. Because when you look at the NFL, for example, you only have a set amount of broadcast windows and multiple games will air uh, in that broadcast window regionalized throughout the country. And so if you, for some reason, end up with an extra game uh, or one less game, there is no incremental revenue necessarily associated with that, but you're incurring incremental costs, of course. Whereas like with baseball... You know, you add an extra postseason game in a series and you're getting extra revenue to cover that game cost. So we spent a lot of time assessing the cost of producing the individual games.
0: Sure. I would imagine that has to be one of the most expensive things is the production cost from the hosts and what you have to pay them to the camera, to the crew, to just everything that goes into that shipping, all the equipment on and on.
1: I mean, there's the fixed side of it for sure, the camera and the crew and the things that you need to be there, but there's a variable component. You can't control your sports rights costs, right? You agree to pay a certain amount of rights for a certain amount of content. And so really production costs is one of the few areas that you can actually go and control costs and manage, so
0: yeah. Yeah, and that makes sense, right? Because yeah, you pay a fixed amount to the NBA or the NFL for those contracts that are often five, seven, eight years billions of dollars so you got to figure out okay where else do i control costs if the economy changes if ad revenue's down whatever else it may be you're limited in how much you can scale back
1: exactly exactly
0: yeah that 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 makes a lot of sense any industry where you have heavy fixed costs can always be challenging when things change oh yes all you gotta do is look at the airline industry you know what it is like 13 different spreadsheets emailed out to 23 different budget holders. Multiple iterations, version control, errors, back and forth updates. You never really feel in control of the consolidation and collection process. Yep, I've been there. Stop. Breathe. Datarel's is the financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users Data Rails takes data from all your company's disparate sources. No organization is too complex, consolidating everything into one place, secured in the cloud. Now all your data finally talking to each other. Everything is automated back into your report in Excel. Cash flow, FX conversion, intercompany transactions, now automated and up to date. Drill down and variance analysis in seconds. Don't replace Excel. Embrace Excel. Turn your Excel into a lean, mean FPNA machine. Find out more at www.datarails.com. I'm curious, you know, having worked in this industry, know gaming and sports, how have you seen the rise of streaming? online gaming, you know, kind of impacting the business and how you forecast and think about things, right? Because we're definitely going through a huge change within the media and entertainment and gaming industry in general. So I'm just kind of curious, how's that kind of impacted the way you forecast and think about things?
1: I mean, streaming has, there's more content out there than ever before. And so you're really competing for eyeballs for people to engage in your content. And differentiating yourself is really important in that regard. And trying to get people into the games, engagement, playing longer, the hours that they play, you're considering all of those things. So I think what's great is that with streaming and even online gaming on a broadcast network, you're waiting for a Nielsen rating to give you some feedback on performance after the fact. With the information that we're able to see much quicker in the data now, we can certainly plan and you know look at indicators to say, okay, maybe we have a risk coming up, or maybe we have a really good opportunity because we're seeing a lot more engagement, you know, earlier than we expected and look at this, you know, revenue opportunity in the future. Um, so I think you know, there's a lot of opportunity with that, with the data and the analytics for sure that you know we can get in this new world. The other thing I'll say is with streaming on the television side, for sure, you brought in some new companies entering the media landscape. And definitely on the sports side, that's driving the costs up. So again, thinking about the different ways now you pay to watch an NFL game through a subscription with like Amazon, where you hadn't in the past when it was on CBS or NBC. So they have a new way to monetize that the broadcast networks maybe don't. But what other things can you do to, again, attract people, bring people into your content?
0: Sure. That's Thursday night, right? That Amazon got, is that the, yep. Yeah, no, I know here locally, i kind of just talking about all this, but I'm a Utah jazz fan, big jazz fan. And they just added streaming option to watch all the games. You know, in addition, they put it back on local TV. So it's not on cable anymore. It's on local TV. And then they did a streaming package as well.
1: Yeah. So it's definitely changed the game for sure. And it's made everything more competitive. But I think you know, from a forecast perspective where you're able to see things quicker and react quicker uh, to make sure you're providing content that your consumer or your player
0: want for sure. Sure. Versus waiting the next day and seeing, okay, how did we do on the the preliminary Nielsen ratings? What do those final numbers look like? What do they really mean? I would yes. imagine it's, it's a little bit of a wait versus, okay, we could see today something's popped on this game. It's up 20%. What's going on? And is there something we can do to continue that behavior? Exactly. And so is that one of the biggest things kind of in the streaming is just looking at the, uh, or particularly gaming, I'm guessing it's kind of time on game. Is that usually the most common metric? Are there other things you kind of look at within that play that helps you understand how it's performing?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, hours played and engagement, you know, again, online gaming gives... Hundreds of hours of content, you know, and people can keep going. So, yeah, looking at where they're engaging, I mean, we can see across the whole life of the game, you know, oh, NBA tip off, maybe they're engaging a little bit more around that part of the season, or maybe, and you can assess all those things. So, I think that's one of the big things we use for sure.
0: Yeah, I know that's great. And, you know, kind of, I'll tell this since we're talking gaming. I once applied to work for a gaming company. And in the interview, I got told uh, when we got done, I asked the person if they had any concerns. And they're like, I don't think you're passionate enough about video games. And so I didn't get hired. And I kind of laughed. I'm like, so I joke sometimes with kids. I'm like, you just need to play video games more. It could help your career.
1: I will say I, you know, had not played video games probably since I was a teenager. When I got this job at 2K, of course, new NBA 2K, you know, you know those things right away, like it's huge. But I, one of the first things I did was, okay, I need to buy a console and which was tough at the time. Uh, in 2020 and 2021, and I got Oh yeah, trying Xbox. to get a console <laughs> during
0: that time. You, you paid a premium.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> so, but I was like, I need to understand this product. So I went and got an Xbox and then downloaded our games and started playing to be like, okay, what? I mean, they're so much more complicated than they were when I played <laughs> Nintendo 64, regular Nintendo as a kid, but really understanding like, what are the elements that go into this and really trying to make sure I understand
0: what we're producing and creating. I love that you took the time to test the product, to learn the product, because that adds so much value to what you're doing in your job. Oh, yeah. I think it's huge. I still remember in college kind of talking about you know, buying a game console. I had a friend who he did his master's thesis on video, a video game, like protagonist or something. He ended up getting a master's in gaming later on. And so he, would, uh, he bought a few different games. He got a grant. And so we'd always joke every weekend we were helping him do his research when we played games. You know, but it really did. He'd be observing things and helped him with his research. Not so much us, but that was our excuses. We were helping him with his research, so... No,
1: I think for sure, like, early on when I started at 2K, there was, we were debating, you know, with one of the games, you know, do we spend the extra money to put these features in? Do we not? You know, there was a discussion happening. And after the game came out and I played the game, I was like, wow, I'm actually really happy we spent the money and did that. Like, that is really cool as somebody, you know, a casual player of games. So it makes you appreciate those things and understand it a little bit more for sure.
0: Sure, when you're in the conversation and then you can actually see it and play it and be like, oh, wow, that is really good. Or I wish we would have spent the money to put this in or that really would have added to the game.
1: Right, and it helps with my partnership, you know, in discussing with people, I'm like, oh, okay, like I understand you, you know, and like, let me help advocate, you know, and build a business case of why we would want to add features or certain things for sure.
0: Yeah. Cause I'm sure the, uh, on the game side, they want to add everything and you're like, did you know how much that's going to cost? Uh-huh. <laughs> how do you think about that process? You know, kind of being finance of helping them manage that of, you know, what features go into the product and all that, any, any thoughts or advice you'd offer to finance professionals? Cause we all deal with that, whether it's in game or whatever it might be of scope creep and product cost and those type of things.
1: I am not an expert at gaming at all, which I've said, right? Like, so I'm going to really trust the experts to come and say, this is why I need this and I really need this and I'm going to help find a way to support their decision. So if that's where it is, is looking at okay is there a revenue opportunity or something else out there or is there somewhere else maybe we could try to find a way to reduce spend to make sure you get this feature that's really important to you because yeah I'm not the expert I'm just the finance person and if mm-hmm. you tell me it's important I will help you find a way to get it what you want
0: and I like that you're trusting the expert and then it's okay having that discussion which I think is so critical of how can we do this you know there there's often a view that finance is, I've heard it referred to CF No, right? The office of NO. <laughs> and that, that never wins friends when it's just like, nope, that's too expensive. And you shut down the conversation versus, okay, well, why is that important? How can we increase the revenue to support that? Because right now it doesn't economically make sense. I can't, you'll bring it forward. And then they, I think they appreciate it when you really kind of help educate them on the financial side of what your concerns are and try to help them come up with a solution versus, yeah, you may be the expert. I'm just going to tell you, no, the budget's not there.
1: Yep. I I tell people, a lot of my business partners, I say, think of me as your agent. I'm going to go out and negotiate this for you from a financial perspective. Tell me what you need and let me help go sell, you know, sell this somewhere else so that we can make the
0: case and do it. I like that. I haven't heard that one of the agent. I like that one. That's a good one.
1: we work in a lot of sports, so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I figured as much. I, As you said, Agent, I'm thinking of Jerry Maguire for right, some reason.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yes. I'm a little calmer than him.
0: <laughs> I would hope so. So I know you've been very active as a volunteer in the Los Angeles chapter for women in sports and events for you know several years. Can you talk about how that experience has helped you in your career, kind of what you've learned from being involved in that?
1: Yeah, it was a really cool opportunity that came to me. Actually, the president of Fox Sports, his assistant, managed our Fox Sports relationship with the organization. So she said, she called me one day and said, you know, one of these organizations we work with is looking for a woman who works in sports and does finance. And you are the only person I can think of right now. Are you interested? And I said, sure, you know, I'll take the lunch and have the conversation with the board. So, I went and met with the president of the board and a couple others and basically they convinced me, you know, that this would be a really cool opportunity. I mean, a lot of my career I think I've said, "Okay, sure, I'll say yes, why not." And it was a really good opportunity to Learn a different kind of business, a nonprofit organization for sure. Again, I'm touching taxes and that things that I have not done in my career. The other thing I think that was really interesting was like learning about event planning because that was our main way to raise money and fundraise and think about our sponsorship opportunities and how we price those things in order to raise money again. And at the time, it was a good way to connect with other people just in the industry in LA as well. It's a national organization. So Los Angeles was just a chapter. So you're connecting with other people around the country as well at different teams and leagues um, and really learning a lot. So yeah, it was a cool opportunity. And then two years ago, I handed over my treasurer responsibilities to someone else. And that's been fun. She was not a finance person when she came into it, but she signed up and said, I want to try. So I still talk to her regularly and help kind of coach her through on how to do the finance, do budgeting. I mean, (laughs) there was no budget when I got there um, and then help people think about that. So it's been awesome.
0: That sounds like you've uh, learned a lot and it's really helped you in your career, just making those networks, getting those opportunities to learn new things and just expand your horizon, so to speak.
1: Yes, it's definitely given me a big appreciation for, again, what everyone else does in a business.
0: Got it. Next question here, and this is another one we like to ask pretty much all our guests is, can you tell me about a time in your career when you experienced what we'll call a strategic moment, kind of a strategic insight that it later empowered you to drive change within the organization? So
1: when I was at Warner Brothers, about six weeks into the job, they said, we're putting you on a plane to Prague. And you're going to go work with the team there. The outsource team was uh, in the office doing transition, knowledge transfer of the activities there. So I said, sure. I was very young, 25 years old, and said, okay, I will go. And I got there and realized very quickly that the project had gone very sideways. They were way behind on the transition plan. The controller who was working with the outsource team was very upset and she had pretty much shut down working with them. And I'm on the other side of the world in a job six weeks in and saying, what do I do? So I had, luckily, you know, I was in Europe. So I had a few hours before the West Coast got up and I said, formulated a plan. I mean, part of me was like, maybe I just don't do anything. or You know what? I didn't know what to do. And so I formula, I sat down and said, no, you need to say something, you need to formulate a plan and you need to tell them what's going on and how they can fix it. So I call, by the afternoon, I called our head of the project as well as the head of the outsource center. And then our VP of finance and said, I need to have a call with you and I need to tell you what's going on with you. And that's where I cr- clearly laid out. Here's the problem. Here's what I think we can do to fix it. And here's how I think we implement it going forward. And that was like a big moment just for me personally as well, like really see it, they acted on it right away within 48 hours, we had more resources on the ground in Prague to help get the project back on track. It ended up delivering on time. But it was really a moment where, for me, even saying, okay, if you clearly organize your thoughts and make a recommendation and be thoughtful about what you do, people will hear you and act on it. And that was really exciting because, again, we delivered on time, which was concerning that we would not. So...
0: Sounds like kind of one of those aha moments for you early in your career, where realizing if I really think through this logically and come up with a plan, people are going to listen, and I can make a difference. It allowed you to see that you could really influence versus just doing what you're told, so to say. Right. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a tough one. Fly halfway across the world and realize everything's a mess.
1: Yes, <laughs> and it was. I mean, six weeks into a new job, where you're still like, I don't even know what's going on.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> you barely know which way's up at that point, let alone how do you fix a big problem? It sounds like it was a really good learning opportunity for sure.
1: It is. I uh, I actually keep a pen on my desk still to this day that I ha- that I use to like write my plan out in the office. And I've carried it with me just kind of as a reminder.
0: That's cool. That's a great little memento reminder to have. You know, kind of speaking of pens and things that remind us, this next section is what we call the get to know you section. So you get no more than 30 seconds to answer each of these questions. So, you know, relatively brief, but we have four of them that we're going to ask you. And the first one is, what is something interesting about you that not many people know? Something that makes you unique? So
1: I'm not athletic, but, well, I guess during the pandemic, really, I got into golf and took golf lessons. Um, And now I regularly golf.
0: Cool. And how are you enjoying it?
1: I love it. It's like great to get outside. It's a good way to socialize, catch up with friends while we're still doing something. So
0: Good. That's a fun one to pick up. Next question. If you could meet one person in the world, dead or alive, who would you meet and why?
1: So maybe it's two or one or the other. Brene Brown or Adam Grant. They, they do a lot of stuff together. So maybe it could be them together. Um, But the interest there is really, I'm always trying to find a way to be a better leader for my team to help develop them. And I guess also like be a better colleague. And I think They have a lot of advice. I just love to pick their brain on how to work effectively.
0: Yeah. Adam Grant has a lot of great advice. I've listened to some of his podcast episodes. I've read his Think Again. And last year, not this year, but last year, he was the keynote speaker at AFP. Oh, welcome. I got the opportunity to watch him present and he's a great presenter. It was really fun to be there in the the, uh, conference room and watch him uh, work.
1: Yeah. His new book is really good about uh, coaching for sure.
0: I'll definitely have to check that out. But yeah, he, he's great. I really like his stuff. And if you ever get the chance, he, I don't know if you've heard his story, he told on one of the podcasts where his uh, mom basically outed him for playing video games too much yeah. as a kid to like the newspaper. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. He's like, I've done studies on it. There's really no data that shows it's bad for kids as long as you manage it appropriately. Yep, yep. I thought of that when you mentioned Adam Grant. I remember him telling that story. So, All right. so the next question, what is the last thing you Googled or looked up on YouTube related to finance, FPNA, Excel.:
1: So I was recently trying to reconcile uh, three different data sources. Um, <laughs> so I was deep in Google on if some product and seeing how many ways I could layer things together to try to do that. I, it was, I was really deep into Google and YouTube watching different, reading different formulas and statements for sure.
0: I have definitely been there. I think we all have when trying to reconcile a data source, and you're trying to okay, what formula do I use here? How do I do this? So I can I can relate to that one. So this last one here is what's your favorite thing about Excel function or feature?
1: My favorite one is waterfall charts. I remember when you had to do the waterfall charts by hand. So the, and I do a lot of waterfall charts. Our executives love that. So I love that it's so easy. I just click of a button now.
0: Yes, it is so nice compared to what it used to be. I had a boss who most people do the bar chart where you adjust everything. He had found some uh, website that said, this is a lot easier. It was a lot harder to set up and understand, but it was actually using scatter plots to build your waterfall chart. And it was quite challenging. Took me a while to understand what in the world it was doing. Once I learned it, I loved it. But I was so glad when they added the waterfall feature because it's so much easier.
1: My uh, boss at Fox Sports during our budget season, like I mentioned, was during March. And so there'd be a company-wide, like March Madness bracket challenge. And depending on who had the lower ranking, would have to do the waterfall charts, like the old <laughs> waterfall <laughs> <chart. laughs> Every time it would come up, be like, oh, sorry, your lower ranking was sweet. You're, you're doing all the bar, uh, waterfall charts for everyone because we hated it so much.
0: That's funny. The only thing I wish they would fix about it is you can paste the format of any other chart. Like if you build a chart and paste the format over, doesn't work with a waterfall chart.
1: No. So I spent a lot of time changing the colors for sure.
0: Yeah, I found a few little tips and tricks here and there, but I exactly know what you're talking about. All right, so we're coming up to the end of our time. We just have two questions left for you. The first is, if someone was starting a career today in FP&A, what advice would you offer them? What would you tell them?
1: I think... Two biggest things I look for in candidates or anyone starting out is curiosity, just asking a lot of questions. Learn, like, and I guess maybe going along with that is the courage to ask for help too along the way. People love to talk about themselves. So, like, go to your business partner, ask a lot of questions about what they do. Like, I find that everyone's willing to talk and it makes you so much better and effective at your job. But being curious, willing to not only with your business partners, but dig into data and try to find trends, I think is really key. And then asking for help. There are a lot of people with ideas out there that
0: can help you. Great advice. I mean, curiosity and asking questions is always important. And being willing to ask for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. It shows that you're willing to learn and that you don't think you know everything. Right. Exactly. Great advice there. Last question. If someone wanted to get a hold of you or reach out to you maybe connect with you what's the best way for them to do that LinkedIn find me
1: on LinkedIn message me connect
0: stalk That's what I figured I'm almost going to just start going you know what's your uh, name on LinkedIn instead of asking how to connect because that's 99% of the time the way we all do it today Although I did have one guest give his phone number which did surprise oh, yeah. me a little bit Wow <laughs> okay that I have a lot of respect for them yeah, I was going to say, yeah, good for them, I guess. Yeah. So. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed chatting with you, Kayla, and talking a little bit about the sports industry and your background. And thanks again for being on the show.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. This has been great.